Last year, my brother and I took his two sons to the island of Cana. If you've never been, take the opportunity uh, because Cana is stunning. One of the great attractions of Cana are the puffins. <coughs> they are beautiful, almost comical creatures that you can watch for hours. The only problem with the puffins on Cana is that unless you have a boat, you have a long walk to get to the rocks where they live. It's a round trip of about seven miles and it goes across wild and boggy terrain. For my youngest nephew, Alfie, who was just six at the time, this was going to be quite a hike. To be honest, we didn't know if he would make it. But Alfie did make it and in double quick time and there was one good reason why. The people of Cana had put up some signs. Now these were not just any old signs, these were not boring wooden posts or plain looking arrows, these were much better than that. The signs on Cana look like this. What a fabulous sign! It's colourful, it stands out, and somehow the artist has managed to capture something of the character of the puffin in its design. It's colourful, friendly, funny looking. Now these signs were spaced about 200 metres apart and at every major junction. They kept you on the dry ground when traversing peat bog, and they kept you on the safe ground when you were close to the cliffs. And of course, Alfie loved them. He was off like a rocket, dancing and singing, trying to find the next puffin along the route. And my brother and I were always having to run to keep up with him. And the further we went, the more and more excited Alfie became. The colourful signs built up the expectation of seeing the real thing. Truly, it was the signs that day that got Alfie through the walk. It was the signs that kept him interested on what was a difficult journey. And I'm convinced that if there'd been no signs or if they'd just been boring arrows, he would have given up and not got to see the incredible sight at the end. The Bible is a very long book. It takes a long time to read. It also requires effort and determination to read because in places it is not easy. And we can all find ourselves part way through and wanting to give up. The Bible is also describing a very long period of time. The history it details covers about 2,000 years. So promises that we read of in the early books of the Old Testament can take hundreds of years to come to fruition. And in the meantime, there can be all manner of trials to get through. War, famine, injustice, natural disaster. So there must have been moments where the people of Israel also wanted to give up. And one of the major things that kept the people going were signs. Signs given by God. And like the signs on Cana, these were not just any old signs. These were not boring wooden posts. <coughs> these signs captured something of what God's people would find at the end of their journey. 
These signs enticed the people on. They built a sense of anticipation. They demonstrated what it was that God was working on. These miraculous signs kept the people going. When we as Christians read passages like our one today, we should read them as signs. Amazing events that point us forwards, that give us insight into God's purposes. First of all, these signs tell us something about Jesus. Because Jesus said that he fulfilled all of the Old Testament. It all points towards him. When we see a prophet in the Old Testament perform some great work, somewhere in it will be a hint of what Jesus will go on to achieve. And second, these signs also tell us something about the kingdom of God. They show us what the final destination of all creation is going to look like. They give us clues about what heaven coming to earth will achieve. Now, of course, as believers, we have no, long, no idea how long it will be before Jesus returns. But one day he will. And these signs keep us going through the trials of the present. I hope this makes sense. The puffin signs on Cana gave my six-year-old nephew a little glimpse of what would be. They built up his excitement over the course of a long journey and enabled him to achieve something otherwise he wouldn't have done. In the Bible, God gives us signs of what one day will be. We read them and allow them to point us to Jesus and his kingdom that is coming. We all know that the journey of life is hard at times, but if we keep following the signs, we will grow in excitement and faith until we see God face to face. In our passage today, we see three signs that Elisha displayed, and one by one, we're going to think about the glorious things that they point us towards. The first sign that we read off here is about the healing of creation. The healing of the water is a truly life-giving act. You may remember from the story of Elijah that at one time, God had sent a drought on the land. This judgment was an act of discipline. The only way God had at the time to call his people away from their idols and back to him. But the Bible makes it clear that punishment is not God's great desire. Not by a long shot. God's greatest desire is to bring healing and restoration to his damaged world. He wants to enable the people of his heart to live life in all its fullness. And we get a very clear sign of that in this first story. There was a city with polluted water that was poisoning the land and preventing crop growth. It was causing misery for the city dwellers. And in their desperation, they call out to Elisha for help. And under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Elisha takes a bowl of salt and pours it into the spring. It's not the salt that cleanses the water. This is a miracle. It just happens at the moment the salt is poured in to show the people that it occurred under God's direction. What was it that verses 22 and 23 said? Elisha went out to the spring, threw salt into it, saying, This is what the Lord says, I have healed this water. Never again will it cause death or make the land unproductive. And the water has remained pure to this day according to the word spoken. 
In this miracle then, God takes what is bad and unproductive and enables it to flourish. He heals the water, heals the land and enables the people to thrive. He brings wholeness. Now let's think about how this miracle works as a sign. In this story, the miracle happened when the people turned to Elisha for help. Elisha was the recognized prophet in the land, the carrier of God's word. And the Bible wants us to know that life comes when we turn to God's word and we place our dependence upon it. And this, of course, is seen most of all in Jesus, the word of God. We are to turn to him for healing and life. We are to turn to him because he came to remove the cause of death. Now let's think of the big overarching story of the Bible for a moment. God made a beautiful, good world. Human beings sinned and that world fell. The world is now greatly damaged. So much so every time we see a natural disaster or we witness ecological damage, we're reminded of our sin. Jesus came to defeat sin on the cross and remove it from the world for good. And in doing so, the whole of creation can now be restored. In this story, the land is healed by God sending water of life. Just listen to how the book of Revelation describes the kingdom of God. Revelation 21. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty... I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. And again, Revelation 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood a tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. Can you see these are all signs of what one day will be? We've watched our TV screens in horror this week, haven't we? As wildfires have ripped through Canada and flooding has devastated homes and farmland in Ukraine after that dam attack. Many of our young people who come here on a Friday night tell me that they live with climate anxiety. They worry that within their lifetime, large parts of the world will not be fit to live in anymore. Well, the signs of the Bible and the life of Jesus point us forwards to a world where the land is fully healed. Because the water of life flows freely. When Christ returns, heaven will come to earth and the whole of creation will be perfected to how God originally intended it to be. This is very, very good news indeed. Let's now move on to our second story, the one where Elisha judges the bullies. Now, as a follically challenged man, it gives me great satisfaction to know that God is on the side of bold people. But of course, that is not what this is really about. 
If the first miracle taught us that turning to God's word brings life, the second tells us that rejecting God's word brings judgment. As Elisha went up to Bethel, he was jeered along the road. In Old Testament times, if you dedicated your life to God's service, you would let your hair grow long as a symbol of that. But Elisha can't grow long hair. He's bald. And the youth mock him for it. And when they tell him to get out of here, Baldy, they're telling him to carry on past their city, to, to go away. And remember again, Elisha is the recognised carrier of God's word. It's God's word that they're really belittling and rejecting. And if we reject God's word, it leads to harm. So how does this story work as a sign? Well, let me first of all say that I have no doubt that Jesus would not have called two bears to teach a gang of youths a lesson. Jesus didn't behave like that. He told us to turn the other cheek. But Jesus did make it very clear that God's judgment was coming on the world. And how people responded to him as the word of God would decide whether they passed through it or not. Why is God's judgment so necessary? We don't like to think about it, do we? It's necessary because God is making the way for a world where bullying and mockery and intimidation are no more. I was bullied all the way through school and it made my life a misery. But I've not experienced anything of what some poor people experience. The domestic violence in people's homes, racism and prejudice, tyrant dictators like Putin stealing your land. In these cases, the bullying is truly devastating. God is making the way for all forms of abuse to be removed from his world forevermore. Again, in Revelation 21 and 22, as the kingdom of God is described, it says this. Those who are victorious will inherit the kingdom and I will be their God and they will be my children. But the cowardly and the vile, the murderers, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, the liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake. Nothing impure will ever enter my kingdom, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. You see, much as though we don't like to think about it, judgment is a very good thing. It is an essential thing if we want to spend eternity living in peace. And this second miracle is a great sign pointing to that fact that one day God is going to deal with all bullies through his judgment. And on that day, those who have suffered at the hands of the bullies and yet held on to faith will be truly vindicated. Jesus will defeat all evil and sin. Indeed, he's going to destroy it forevermore. But if we turn to him, we know we'll be safe. So our first sign pointed to the healing of creation. The second sign depicted the defeat of all bullies and abusers. There's one more to go. The story of the widow's oil is all about God setting people free. 
In Old Testament times, there was no social security for widows. Instead, the extended family and neighbours were expected to take them in, in their time of need. However, if the whole nation is going through a period of drought and famine, no family would have spare provision for another person. So widows were left very vulnerable indeed. Now evidently, this widow's husband had realised this and taken out a loan for her before he died. Presumably he hoped that after death the situation would improve. Maybe there'd be a decent harvest to pay the loan back. But sadly this hasn't happened and the widow's been left in a pile of debt. And suddenly it's expected that the widow's children will be sold into slavery to pay off the loan. Now this wasn't the transatlantic slavery. There were many debt slaves in Israel paying off their loans. But still, no mother would want to find herself in that position. It would bring her great pain. And for this reason, in the opening verse of chapter 4, the widow cries out to Elisha for help. She's desperate. And little does she know what happens next. It's an astonishing miracle. Elisha asks her to bring the little oil that she has, and he then asks her to go around and collect lots of empty jars from her neighbours. Don't ask for just a few, he says. Isn't it interesting that Elisha brings the widow to play a part? She has a hands-on role in this miracle. She is to pour out the oil that she has. Elisha wants her to experience it with her own eyes. And as the woman starts pouring out her oil, every jar is filled to the brim, right up to the very last one that she has gathered. And this miraculous provision pays the debt and enables the widow to live going forwards. This oil running over brings the widow and her family freedom from slavery and gives them a new lease of life, restores their dignity. So for one last time then, let's ask the question, what is the sign pointing towards? Clearly God knows the needs of the vulnerable. He has compassion on their suffering. He longs to help them. But God particularly wants to bring people to freedom, to enable them to really start living. This woman received this by turning to God's word carrier, Elisha. We receive it by turning to God's word itself. The Lord Jesus. When we turn to Jesus and ask for help, he brings true freedom. Freedom from sin. It's Jesus who does this. He paid all our debts on the cross. But he does ask us to make our small contribution. We are to offer up the small oil jar of our lives in faith to him. So we've been thinking today about signs. Signs that guide us through tricky times and keep us going. Signs that show us a little glimpse of what the end of life will be like. They help us to anticipate it. They get us excited. And the Bible is full of signs. Signs that point us to Jesus and signs that point us to his kingdom. And today we've seen three powerful signs of what God is working to achieve the healing of creation, the removal of abuse and bullies, and God truly setting all his people free to live a life of joy. All these signs find their fulfillment in Jesus. And if we put our trust in him, we will know the fulfillment of them ourselves in the kingdom.
auf Gott.